This podcast is produced by the ABA Journal. We bring you the latest legal news every day from around the web. Visit us online at abajournal.com. Some people are brilliant at lawyering, but not so brilliant at selling themselves and don't have the confidence to ask for business repeatedly. So what's a somewhat marketing challenge lawyer to do? I'm Stephanie Francis Warren, and that's what we're discussing today at the ABA Journal Podcast. My guests today are Larry Cohn, the president of Cohn Communications and the author of Selling in Your Comfort Zone, and Delia Myers, a partner with Gaffney, Lewis, and Edwards. Larry, when you're dealing with clients who are lawyers, what are their common reasons they give you about why they think they can't do business development? The answer is that almost everyone says that they're too busy to market, but we've learned over the years that uh, that is really not the case. People feel busy because their lives are, of course, full and they're doing the things that are important to them. But the real issues are they're uncomfortable with the fear of being in position on other people, uh, their fear about appearing needy, uh, they're afraid of, of looking bad, and so when you are uncomfortable doing something, it's easy to default to the comfort of the things that are already proven to be important to you. So time is the biggest complaint, but it's not the real answer. I would also add, I think Larry's absolutely right, I'd also add that there is such a negative stigma attached to lawyers and in some contexts what they view as advertising, and so they don't, they sort of, meld the two together, business development equals, you know, sort of my shilling for services like an ambulance chaser, when in reality, you do have to have a plan for this like anything else, and to the extent that it is the way in, you know, modern legal circles, and certainly with so much competition for business, it's the way that we do generate the most new business and and are most uh, likely to expand existing portfolios, it's necessary. So how do you get past, if you're someone that you don't want to look needy or you don't want to look tawdry or whatever, how do you get past that? And what, what do you tell people when, you know, if that's the response or if it comes up? Well, let me uh, lead off with that. The, the The fact is that you will appear needy if you say needy things. If you say, I really need your business, then you're going to appear needy, but you would never do that. The key is to be valuable. And the phrase that I like to use is that marketing means communicating value to the right people, communicating value to the right people. So the job is not to ask for the business or to appear as though you're imposing on people, but rather be valuable to people. And if you get good at communicating the value you bring to the right people, you'll be good at this. There's not a lawyer around that can't be good at bringing in business if they understand what marketing really is. So, Dahlia, how do you know who the right people are? I think you, first of all, have to evaluate what your core you know, business is. What kind of business do you want to attract? If you use the shotgun approach, I think you will always appear needy, always appear desperate, always appear a bit tawdry as if you're just shilling for something, anything, someone just give me something. But to the extent that you understand what your core capabilities are, what you're really good at, and the market understands that because you've done a good job at being out there and being good at those things, I think you target, you selectively look at 
who the market segment market leaders are there. And depending on the size of your office or the size of your practice, you might also look at the up-and-coming market leaders in that area. And you go about doing what I call just plain old everyday making friends. I remind younger lawyers when I do training, both in-house and and, um, externally, that lawyers are people too. And for the most part, you are presenting your capabilities to other lawyers. And at the at, at everybody's core, we all just want to get to know each other and, and be known for who we are. And if you approach it as you would in any context of meeting new people, making friends, understanding what they need first, and then figuring out how what you're capable of delivering fits into that, you have a better shot at business on any level. Um, so I would say, first of all, evaluate your core capabilities. Look at what kind of business you want to be in the market as, as a leader um, for developing and for successfully completing for clients, and then look at the clients in that strata, and I would say the, the strata right below or, or a couple of tiers down so that you can begin to build a pipeline of business. A pipeline I'd like, of, I'd like know, to comment so. on what uh, Delia said. She used the term segment, and that's the most important term, uh, I think, for uh, identifying who your target should be. The concept in marketing is called market segments, and your job is to be a big fish in a small pond, which means you want to identify the most fertile environments uh, for for your ideal market. And market segmentation means that you take the entire world that you might be able to do business with. Let's say you're a corporate lawyer and and you could do business with different segments. Well, one segment might be referral sources. That that segment might be CPAs. Or you could maybe go after uh, the end user, the business community directly, and, and then you want to segment by industry, you want to segment by geography, you want to mm-hmm. segment by title, you could segment by gender and hobby and areas of your specialty. So by zeroing in on the most narrow segments possible, when you do want to make time for your outreach, you'll have a better uh, ability to define the environments where you can meet those people. The more you know about your target, the more effective you'll be in finding environments to find them. I have a question for you, Larry, and I know the market is so tight out there right now. Are there some really clever ways to think of a really fertile market that everyone else isn't trying to tap into? I think that you, as Dahlia said, you look at what you do to see where you have the best fit, so where you have real comfort. But you also look to your existing clients to see what industries they're in, and you also look to existing relationships who are well-connected to the target markets that you want to reach out to. You know, one of the most effective ways of meeting new people is meeting people through the people you already know. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, many of my clients make huge amounts of money with just that philosophy, nothing else, just focusing on every time they meet a person in their target market, they are good at finding out who those other people know, and they develop wonderful, non-invasive ways of meeting those people. That's right. And just to piggyback for a moment on what Larry is saying, um, I think, in fact, it is still true that your best marketing tool is to do a really good job because your clients will sell you. Clients who are really pleased with their external counsel make it known to the world. Um, They take you to conferences with them. They ask you to speak in their offices. They ask you to do workshops. And there is no better marketing tool than a satisfied customer. 
Because and, that customer then goes abroad and, and, and does a better job of selling you than you ever could. Larry, you mentioned that ways, non-invasive ways of meeting people. Adelia, what are your suggestions on some non-invasive ways of meeting folks? I think that that's, there, there are two ways that I look at it. There, there are some things that I think if you're serious about building your own business and your own practice, practice so that you're independent of, you know, getting work from other lawyers within your firm if you're in a firm, there's some bit of marketing that is outside of your comfort zone that, frankly, you will need to do and you will need to learn to enjoy the, the cocktail parties where there's no one in the room whom you know. You should see it as an opportunity, I think. I always do. Um, just as I see meeting new people generally as an opportunity, I think you ought to see just going out and potentially meeting new clients as the same kind of opportunity. But I think you have to look at the kinds of conferences you're attending. What kind of speaking engagements are you making yourself available for? Are they all consistent with your targeted goal of winning business within, Larry is absolutely right, this segment, or is it just a broad approach and you're throwing everything against the wall hoping that something will stick? I tend to only do conferences, seminars, and um, speaking engagements where there is some from the pre-conference registration, um, I have some clear notion that there are potential clients there for whom I can meet a direct need so that I am always um, at least on a panel or facilitating a panel in some way that allows me to demonstrate my knowledge base, my experience base, and my capabilities to those people in a non-threatening way. I'm not walking up to them, you know, giving them a hard shakedown. And so that it presents an opportunity afterwards for me to introduce myself to them if they had not already come to introduce themselves to me. And then I have the follow-on opportunity to say, you know, was there something of particular interest in this panel discussion that we opened up? Or can I just, you know, maybe have lunch with you and we talk about what your business needs are, what your business does, just so that you get an understanding, first and foremost, of what they need. I think it's impossible to ever sell your services to a client um, without some clear understanding of their business goals, their objectives, and personally what you can do to make them shine inside their organizations. Let, let me comment on something, uh, Stephanie. The, uh, the issue of working a room or going to a conference will make people so uncomfortable, and one of the ways that you can overcome that is looking at those organizations or being involved in those things as not a social experience, but rather reframing it as a research experience. If you uh, are, are embarrassed or feeling uh, introverted and don't like working the room, I mean, I have clients that will go to conferences and stay in their hotel room the whole time because they're so <laughs> uncomfortable. But once I explain to them that their job is to go down into that room, not for fun, but for research, who is in there? Why are they there? Why is the organization good for them? What does the organization do? Does it meet your values? And lawyers are wonderful at research, which means lawyers are wonderful at working a room. But if you think of it as social, it will make you uncomfortable because you're not funny and you don't like small talk. But if you think of it as research, you can immediately begin to enjoy it. And my book, Selling in Your Comfort Zone, stresses the, uh, the importance of not thinking that you should go out of your comfort zone, but rather identify the things that make you comfortable. And clearly, lawyers can learn that working a room is comfortable. 
Right, and exactly right. I so agree with that. And to the extent that you view it differently, you do, in fact, convert it from something that is not within your you know, traditional wheelhouse to something that wholly is. I think that's an excellent point. And I'd like to ask you guys about, you mentioned referrals a bit and how, like, cross-referrals from referrals from other people in different professions or from your clients. Now, of course, as a lawyer, you cannot pay for those referrals. Are there any ways that you can give incentives to referrals that doesn't cross ethical lines? Yeah, as, as a, a lawyer, I stay very far away from the line completely. I, okay. I, I, I just don't. That is never a line that I want to ever be close to. Sure. I think that there sure. may be ways of doing it. I've just never explored them. I think what I tend to enjoy doing is, um, you know, referring out work to people um, when I know they'll do a good job for my clients. And I don't have the fear that they'll ultimately end up exclusively with my clients because I work every day and, you know, bust my chops every day to do a better job than, than anybody else and to make sure that my clients understand that I am nimble and if there ever is something that needs to be fixed that we will immediately um, get whatever problems there are rectified. So I think that for me, that it's just a personal sort of line that I just don't cross. I don't look at it as how can I incentivize someone to to give me a referral. Or to, I just work with people who do a, a really, really good job and who are known to, um, you know, certainly be very upfront and honest about their intentions insofar as, you know, getting the referral business and who don't have any any untoward intentions. But I don't. Um, those ethical rules are, are there for a really good reason, and I am very careful to um, not give the appearance of something that might violate those rules. I agree that the ethical rules are very important, and everyone should li- uh, live by them very carefully. Many states do allow for lawyers to share fees among themselves, and those requirements vary. Some lawyers have to stay involved in some way. Right. You have to Others participate don't. in the so work. If if it is ethical, then I support it because a lawyer who could send you business because you're good, if they want the fee uh, and they could send it to somebody else who will pay them a fee, uh, they're very incentivized to, to send it to the other lawyer, even if you're good. With that said, people do have a collection of lawyers that they like to refer to who do the job for their clients, so that's important. That's right. But I do want to mention that there are many ways of incentivizing people that are absolutely ethical, that are fun, and and that's in the area of entertaining people. And if you can provide as simple as taking someone to lunch, which is a minor incentive, but incentive, and if somebody were to send you a client and you sent them a nice gift, I prefer gifts that are durable gifts, like legal writing, leather pads or a, or a crystal clock for their desk. Now, there are ethical standards with that, too, for example. you can, right. There are many companies where in-house counsel can't take anything or banks that could refer business can't take anything. But right. there is a wiggle area, and I think it's really fun and really effective to be good at giving gifts to people, it's, it, it, and, and I think uh, very worth considering. Well, let's switch gears a bit. Let's stay on the referral topic. Let's talk a bit about getting referrals from other lawyers. I know, as I said earlier, it's very tight out there with business. And how can you market yourself to other lawyers for referral services without appearing like you want to steal that other lawyer's business? Dahlia, what do you think? 
I think I've gotten really um, good referrals from, from colleagues historically, and most of that has come from um, working with colleagues on projects in the bar, working um, on boards and different commissions, doing just community work um, with friends who have, you know, when the, the need arose, then they were able to say, oh, Dahlia might be the person you want to use for that, or maybe she can refer you to someone. And so I think I have seen dividends um, increasingly um, over the years from just basically being a part of, a vibrant part of, the legal community, the non-legal community, um, the volunteer community in my state, and certainly with the ADA, just I've seen dividends just from helping people work on projects that are of import but don't pay. And so I think that the better people know you, the more comfortable they are with referring work to you or asking you to help them find a good person to do a task that may be outside of your traditional area of practice. So that goes back to something Larry said earlier, you know, just sort of making yourself comfortable with um, figuring out what you're good at and making every opportunity to do that. Lawyers are good at research. Converting sort of the cocktail party into the research hour is an excellent idea. And using every opportunity that you have to be out and about in your community, and certainly even at church, I have spent a lot of volunteer hours doing Saturday clinics um, for my church, for churches um, statewide and certainly churches nationally, um, for my church's organization, and even things like that pay dividends. I think the, the key is to pay close attention to every board opportunity and not to accept opportunities where you can't hit the ball out of the park. Don't allow yourself to get overextended because every time you are out and about as a lawyer in those environments, people are watching and they are evaluating whether or not they could use you if the need ever was or you become, you know, indispensable to them in those contexts and they say, here is a really good person. And so when the need arises, your name is the first one that pops to mind. I have a comment on, uh, on that. The best referrals often come from other lawyers. If you're concerned about lawyers not sending you business because they're afraid of your stealing the business, the obvious response is reach out to non-competitors. Estate planning lawyers can get business from corporate lawyers. Corporate lawyers can get business from bankruptcy lawyers. There's all kinds of, uh, of different practices, and those can be very complementary where there's no risk of people stealing business. If you're getting your business from a competitor because there's a conflict, then the, the best way to minimize their concern about your stealing the client is to guarantee you won't. That you won't do it, yeah. That's right. People Just tell them. <laughs> get business from, their, from people they trust. That's right. That they have confidence in. And if you say to them, look, let's have an understanding that if you do send me a conflict, I will not allow us to take on any other work. I will only handle the conflict. And that really works. It does, in fact, work, and, and lawyers appreciate that. They appreciate the upfront, you know, honesty, and they appreciate that you follow through on it um, and that their clients remain happy, they get great service, and they come back to them for the work that they were originally doing. And let me ask both of you, what do you think about some of the online referral services where either you pay for referrals or you pay to be listed? Do you think, can one generate a fair amount of business from that, or is it maybe a waste of money? 
I'm going to let Larry um, speak more broadly to that. Just, uh, but I will say, I have not had the greatest success with online referrals, and it may be because it's you know it's, it's still in its nascent stages, and there needs to be more sort of organic growth and development for it before it becomes a real source of business. I am probably an old shoe leather kind of person anyway. I do believe that you have to put in the effort and the time um, with meeting people and, you know, providing services that they really need, um, and that's how you're going to generate business. But, but that having been said, I do think that there are some online things um, that you can do that generate business, not to include the, the fee-based services just because I don't know enough about those to speak intelligently, and I haven't had the greatest success. But I can say that you will see results from, for example, blogging on areas of law in which you have expertise because when people go to a blog, it's because they are seeking you out rather than you're sort of sending a, a client broadside or some sort of client memo that people may or may not read, that may or may not speak to any particular business interest that they have or business need. But if you have an area of specialty and you, for example, blog in that area and people come to your blog and, you know, from that you begin to develop followers and, 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 and folks who view you as an expert in that area, that obviously will generate um, business that, and you could reach more people with that blog than you ever could walking the streets or pounding the pavement. So in that context, I think there are some things that you could do online to create an online presence that is helpful to building your brand and establishing you as an expert in a particular area of law that may be different than you sort of paying for a service to so-called send you client referrals. Well, let me rephrase the question then, Larry, for you, and it's still about the online referrals. If you're someone who is like you're this reluctant type that doesn't want to go out and be social, could you do enough business development, do you think, online and with the referral services, or is it it's just not going to be enough as it would be with face-to-face -face time? Well, it depends upon your practice and it depends mm -hmm. upon your targets. If your targets are inclined to go onto the Internet and do research, they, uh, they might stumble on an online directory and they may call you. I have clients who generally tell me that their expenses in online referral services at least get returned with some business. I have not heard of great success stories. One of the ways to tell these online services are working in your community is to see how long lawyers stay on them. If they stay on them for a long time, they're not fools. They're paying for them because they work. If they disappear quickly, then, uh, then you know they don't. Also, mm -hmm. you can ask the online referral companies who their satisfied clients are, and you can call them up and ask them, and they'll tell you whether or not. I mean, these are other lawyers mm -hmm. who will tell you. So I have seen some success. However, as clients get more sophisticated, as your targets get more sophisticated, they are less likely to use that kind of research uh, as a way to find a lawyer and more likely to ask their friends, ask their colleagues, and not use the, the online mm -hmm. referral databases. Okay. And let's switch gears. What do you guys think about the publications like the super lawyers? Are, are they effective for marketing? Should attorneys try to get themselves featured in the publications? Well, once again, it depends upon your target. If That's your right. targets are really interested in, in those status issues, uh, then they can be very important. But then again, it varies on who it is. 
if it's Chambers, which is a highly regarded uh, organization that in-house counsel really value, then it's extremely important and very worthwhile. Some of these super lawyer things could be pay to play, where they'll list you because they're hoping to sell you an ad in their publication. And and I, I'm uncomfortable with that, but at the same time, lots of people are you know, super lawyers and pay for it and find that their clients are very impressed with that and they like to be able to put that on their bio. So I think it's a cost-benefit issue. If it's not a lot of money and your clients like it a lot, then uh, then it might be something worth doing. I, I would just say that it, it's been my experience that it matters more to lawyers than it does to um, even some of their lawyer clients and certainly their non-lawyer clients. Um, just because, you know, although it is for the most part, at least the super lawyer um, designation that, that is done by, um, you know, the, the ADA's group, it's, it's peer-reviewed and there are other things that go into it, but we all also know that at the end of the day, clients don't rely on that to pick a lawyer. And, and we think it's great for our firms, but clients rely on, you know, your market-based track record, which doesn't necessarily come exclusively from your peers, which that might, and certainly if they're, you know, pay-to-play super lawyer designations or other accolades that, that you've received, it's not hard to figure that out in the marketplace either. So I would say it is it is certainly um, nice as you practice and you spend your time, you know, dedicating yourself to becoming an expert in this area of law. It certainly makes you feel good to have that designation, but I don't know that it carries over into actually translating into business. Delia, based on your practice, what do you think is the most successful thing you've done in terms of business development? I would say that there are two things. I have always tried at every opportunity to just be sure that I've done an outstanding job, um, the best job that I could possibly do, and I've involved the right players um, and have not been afraid of asking people for help um, when I need help and, and, you know, giving them the credit for having done something that I couldn't do um, otherwise, but also that I have always at appropriate times gone back to my clients and said, I know we got paid for that, but tell me where you were most dissatisfied because it's easy to find out what, you know, what, what pleases your clients. But I think one of the keys has been that I've always said to my clients, tell me where the areas for improvement are. And I've acted on that. And my clients even tell others, you know, this is a lawyer who is not afraid to be told what you wanted to do better the next time. Um, and certainly it doesn't bother me because I think that that is the easiest way to retain happy client is to make sure that you are ever evaluating what they've told you you've done really, really right, but certainly what they sometimes don't tell you that you haven't done in a way that they would have liked. And I think for me, that has proven to, to have been you know, one of the best strategies for success that I could have had. And I, and I didn't realize it when I started doing it, but it's become one of the things that my clients tell everybody. Gary does not mind you telling her, for example, that you never expected that, that would have taken longer than 10 hours, even though it was an outstanding job that you would have expected that it would have taken, you know, maybe 10 hours or less when, in fact, you got a bill that said 17 hours or 15 hours, and that was surprising. Even if you were happy to pay the bill, the fact that you could go back and say to Gary, okay, next time, maybe we'd like to know in advance 
if you think this is going to take more than the average amount of time, or maybe we should communicate to you what we think is the average amount of time. It is that I'm an open communicator, and I always want to know what I've done um, that can be improved for the next round. I have a comment on that mm-hmm. with regard to all of the clients that I've worked with over the years. And, and of course, Delia is right. It's so important to do good legal work because you keep your clients. But frankly, and I hope I don't sound too radical here, I know an awful lot of lawyers that aren't necessarily the best lawyers but are great at bringing in business. So it's a given that you should do good legal work. That's right. But the fact is you're going to do that. That's not a part of your marketing effort in my view. You're going to do good legal work, and that will bring you more business. I think the single most important thing for lawyers to do is to meet more good targets. That the, uh, uh, By far and away, the greatest weakness that we see, and, and I've been doing this now for 25 years, the, 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 the greatest weakness that we see is that lawyers don't know enough good targets. If you were to assess... How many targets do you really know who could give you business right now, who could refer business to you right now? If that number is 5 or 10, you're way, way, way behind the curve. And you need mechanisms for meeting new people, whether those mechanisms are getting involved in organizations or meeting people through other people or my very favorite, which is public speaking and seminars. I think that the vast majority of lawyers way underestimate the number of people that they need to meet in order to make a significant dent in their new business development effort. All right. And that's everything for today. I want to thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This podcast was brought to you by the ABA Journal. For more podcasts on the legal issues of the day, visit us online at abajournal.com or subscribe for free to the ABA Journal Podcast on iTunes.